The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Welcome to the SWN Podcast. I am your host, as always, Billy. I am joined uh, on this edition with the bouncer, Eli Bulwark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Billy. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to tonight and to see what we've got in store. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it as well. I, I do my research and I listen to your, your episode with uh, with Frank uh, Frank Mandolini yeah. of, the, of the Last Minute Wrestling Podcast before um, we went on today. Uh, so I thought, at least I could pick, I don't want to like ask the same things over and over again, but Frank thankfully asks very few questions and lets you just tell your stories, so it's, it works for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> uh, But the first question is always the same that we ask, uh, which is, how did you get into pro wrestling? What got you hooked? Cool. Um, well, nine out of ten times, I'm sure, you know, when I listen to your podcast and I listen to other podcasts, you met with the same sort of story. So I fell in love with it um, at a younger age, which is true. I did... Um, I never ever saw myself wanting to become a wrestler. That that was the the big thing for me. Um, you know, I started watching it, I would say probably 97, 98. Um, I was still young then. I was only what six, seven years old. And it was some pretty, you know, pretty hard hitting stuff during that era. So I wasn't always allowed to watch it, but thankfully I had a big cousin that was looking after me. Um, and you know, I'd go around to his every weekend, he'd have it recorded and we'd sit and watch wrestling together. So I sort of fell into it through there. Um, like any sort of teenager, I guess, you, you kind of tend to fall away, especially in the East End of Glasgow. Wrestling became a bit of a taboo at some point in school. You know, you would get kind of picked on for, for enjoying that sort of thing. So I took a little bit of time away from watching it. I wouldn't say too long, but I did fall away for a good two or three years till I was about 15, 16. Um, about the time when I became 16, I got into acting quite heavily. Um, I went to college and, and things like that. And what happened was I was on a, a film set. It was a short film. And it was, again, for the same cousin that got me into wrestling. But it just so happened that on the set was Wolfgang. And I got chatting to Wolfgang on the set. I just happened to mention that I recently um, acquired my, my motorcycle um, certificates. And he had one for sale. So I went and I bought his bike off him and we just kind of started chatting a bit more and more. Turned out our families knew each other, things like that. So we, we, we got closer um, and as time went on, he would start to invite me to ICW. So ICW back then, I'm talking 2012, wasn't a lot of crowds and things like that. And I'd never experienced anything quite like it. Um, one of the first shows I went to was in the Classic Grand. And it was, again, me and the same, the same cousin that got me into wrestling. Service went along and I was just sort of hooked from there. Um, and again, I still didn't think about getting involved in wrestling. Um, you know, I was I was all about acting. I, you know, I was still just focused on the acting route. And then when the asylum opened, um, you know, obviously through speaking to, to Wolfie and things like that, I, I had the interest and eventually I just bit the bullet and signed up. So that's, that's how I got to where I am. It's a little bit of a, a bit different than most folk. Folk will just. It seems to me everyone's got a cousin or a friend that knew. I've I've very rarely spoke to anyone so far that was the cousin, or the or the person who had Sky. It's always so. It's always uh, oh my mate had Sky. I got well, tapes. 
I, the thing is, I had Sky, but I, was, I wasn't allowed to watch it because it was particularly, like, obviously it was a lot of the attitude and stuff like that. Um, and my, I wouldn't say my parents were quite, you know, stuck up about it, but I just don't think they wanted me at that age exposing to it. As I got a little bit older, I did start to watch it in one house and I started the morning and stuff, but... Um, for the first wee while, at least, it was certainly going around to my big cousins, you know, we'd sit up in his room, we would watch it or we'd play it on the Nintendo 64, we'd play Roy's War, stuff like that. So, it is always the cousin, though, you're right. Uh, but, but, yeah, so who are your favourite seven stars? So, Mike 7, 8, uh, there's there's a plethora of legends in that time. So, who's, who kind of caught your eye? Um, it's, it's a weird one, and I always get asked why, um, but... I was a massive, massive fan of the APA, the Acolytes. Um, so Farouk and Bradshaw, I just thought were two hard-hitting guys that took no nonsense. You know, they were muscle for hire, and that's something that I've always liked. Um, so I kind of watched a lot of the, the Acolytes stuff. I was a big fan of the Acolytes, even when they were, you know, they were toxic and people people were spitting venom at them each week. I, I was there rooting for them. Um you know, the age-old question usually comes up, but I, I was a bigger fan of Stone Cold than I was The Rock, I would say, as well. So I was a big fan of the likes of The Rock. Loved Too Cool, Scotty Too Hot, and Grandmaster Sexy, Rikishi, I, I loved all of that. I was So I, I was always kind of focusing, looking at all the, the tag stuff, which was weird. Um, and then, of course, the Hardy Boys as well. So It would be an SWM podcast if the Hardy Boys weren't mentioned well at mentioned. some point. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I tried to avoid it there, I just couldn't help it. It was on my tongue, I had to mention them. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I like when folk, I mean, I, I, who was I speaking to very recently? Oh, that's really annoying me because I probably only recorded a couple of days ago. But uh, uh, we're speaking about like the rock in, in Austin thing and uh, we were saying that when we started watching it properly, it was 2000, so Austin's out. And yeah. The Rock was the guy. And it, oh. Austin was almost this mythical figure. Because yeah. you never saw him wrestle. You just knew of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, they were saying that, that when he came back, Irving got it. Um, they, they, when, when, when he came back, then uh, he, was, they were, he was more of a rock guy because he, The Rock was the man then. Um, but for me, yeah, Austin was this myth, mythical figure. But when he came back, I was all in, all in on Austin. I, I liked I, The Rock. Uh, you know, I, I bought a lot of what Stone Cold was selling. I, I was, you know, as much as The Rock could could cut amazing promos and he had, like, such... He had the charisma, he had everything, right? And I totally agree with that. And especially, um, you know, it was good to see him get his own limelight and run with it when he split from, like, The Nation and stuff like that. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I hated The Rock, but I was just... I would I would back Stone Cold all day long. I was just so behind Stone Cold and in, in anything he did, a bit like the acolytes um, for for the most part. But I love it when someone throws out like a bit of a, like a boy. I suppose I mean Farouk and Bradshaw aren't boys. The WWE champion, WWE champion respectively. But um, it's it's an out there choice. It's like when Dean Ford bangs on about Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon. So just Aye. throwing names out there. But no, too cool. All in for too cool. I remember meeting uh, Scotty Too High, and I was so nervous. Aye. That'd be awesome. Oh That'd man, awesome. it was so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the very few I've met that I didn't make an absolute arse of myself meeting someone. So it was, it was nice, nice, nice difference. Um, so, like, so you're a big fan into you're young. You're right about my age then, so that's great. I kind of know how you were feeling at that time. Um, do you remember getting your first action figure, your first bit of merch? It was your tape that you played over and over again. 
first action figure was Matt Hardy and it was a twist of fate finisher I'll never forget it um, I got it for a tenner down the, I don't know if you know the Barra's Market but um, it was the first figure I ever bought and he was in his twist of fate pose and the hair was all sticking away I've still got it it's in, it's in a cupboard but I've still got it um, and that was you know that was the start of a very bad habit as far as mom and dad were concerned because the amount of action figures that I excuse me, that I bought over the years was ridiculous. And I would say I probably still got them all. So oh, I remember that set. I remember well I remember the 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 set I got in that big big uh, collection where they do double packs was uh Triple H and Jericho. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. I've, I I think so- I've got that as well. And I've got the Dudleys with the table that breaks and all that. I've got I remember, I went on a bad rampage with buying figures, man. Oh so bad. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I, I got rid of all mine when I went through that that brief briefest of phase going, oh, I'm too grown up for figures. Yeah. And I sold a massive box of them and they're gone forever. And then I had the same thought again when I built up this collection of uh, absolutely tatty uh, Has, uh, Hasbros. There are no, no resellable value to them because they're just absolutely disgusting. I found them at a Saturday market uh, and I got rid of them again and I'm just sitting here going, I wish I had all those now. Well, that's the thing. I've never been proud enough to bring them out of the cupboards yet, but I know exactly where they are and possibly someday soon they'll, they'll get a, a, you know, pride of place again, but um, yeah, it was between the, the action figures, the rings and the, you know, the extra sets, like the backstage sets and stuff you could buy. I had I had a lot going on, all the elimination chambers and stuff. Um I was I would prefer to spend my money on the figures and the, the rings and stuff as opposed to the titles. And we had we went through a phase where we'd make our own titles around this area. So, you know, you'd be cutting cardboard and, and making your own belts and stuff like that. I did a lot of that. I did get some other belts as well, but um yeah, I was never it was all about the figures for me. Uh yeah, I remember getting a toilet tube, uh the the paper inside the toilet roll and making that the belts and <laughs> Any, any older, no. there, was a, there was a summer where my cousin would, would come up from England and uh, I made a hardcore belt out of cardboard and that was that was the week we would uh, try and pin each other and, oh, man, <laughs> better days. There was so much It was, back like, then. you didn't think anything of it back then, man. It was great. Uh, right, so, so you met Wolfgang. Um, had you, sorry, to get, your t- get a timeline right, had you seen ICW at this point, so you knew who Wolfgang was uh, in terms no. of wrestling? No. Um, I didn't know Scottish wrestling was a thing before I met him on that film set. Wee Man was actually on the film set as well that day. Um, it, was just a, it was just a short film. My cousin, um, again, he worked in the Lakala Bar and stuff like that, and I think they went to school, I'm certain they went to school together, but he was always around, you know, with like Jack Jester and, and BT Gunn and all that, but I never knew who any of these people were until I met Wolfgang and it just got mentioned that he was a wrestler and I you know started asking questions about it really and it just went from there to him saying hey look here's a here's a ticket man come along and see the show and that was me ever since yeah so that was 2012. So what was, what was if, if I read it right was was it uh, I did write down but I, I can't find the note but uh, what was your first event then what was your reaction any any moments or memories that you particularly have from it? I can't remember the name of the show, and it's, it's kind of bad that I can't remember the name of the show. All I can remember briefly of my first show is getting a glimpse at the Bucky Boys, and I'm certain that was around the time that Wolfgang was getting the tea bags thrown at him and he was coming out with the, the badminton rackets or the gold label times. I'm certain, I don't think I was any earlier than the gold label. 
I'm sure he was in the gold label when I, I first went to see him. Um, I mean, that's nearly 10 years ago now, so I, I do struggle to remember. But I remember going, I, I remember all the shows like after that, like I remember going to Santa Gravy and, and, and all those sort of ones, but my first show was a bit of a blur, I must admit. Yeah. So, uh, so, so was it just ISW you ended up going to, or did you end up going to things like uh, PWE and... And roundabout. Um, well, do you know what, actually? Uh, I'm, I'm telling a big white lie here, and I don't mean to, but I actually just remembered in 2009, right, I was going to college in Paisley, and we were going for drinks one night after college in a, a place, I think it was Vienna, as it was called, and when we went in, there happened to be a wrestling show, and it was uh, Scottish Wrestling Alliance that was on, and we just went to that for the sake of going to it. Um, but I never knew that that was still a, a, a thing in Scotland and I don't think that it really was because that was the first and last time I'd heard of it for those years um, after ICW I was really strictly a, an ICW kind of guy until I started training and then I started to hear about all these other companies um, so I would go to you know, obviously PWE, I would go to uh, PBW, I would go to SWA, things like that and I would just I would try and get myself about as and where I could, you know, being a skint student at the time So, uh, so you, you dived in uh, to your first train session, GPWA uh, were you in the first class? I was in the, I believe I was the fourth intake, intake four or five, but basically I was I was holding out for a midweek class at the time because of my work sh uh, schedule while I was studying. Um, and at the time they were only doing a Sunday class and I think it was something, I can't, there was some other day that I couldn't do. And he texted me and said, there's a, a midweek class coming up. I'm like, cool. I said, well, let me know and I'll certainly attend. I went on holiday to Ibiza and the, the intake came out while I was on holiday and I missed out. The thing just sold out completely on the wed day for the Wednesday class. And I thought, ah, I blew it. And then on the Sunday before, I seen them post that a space had opened up and I text them instantly and I was like, I need that. And he's like, it shows, take it. So I, I took my time in getting there, but I got there probably about seven, eight months down the line. So, so you said your 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 background was acting. We'll definitely get into that because I'm very fascinated by by uh, by that kind of side of things. Um, but as far as as sports and conditioning to go into to wrestling training, uh, what was your kind of background for that? Football, rugby, what was your kind of? Truthfully, at that point in time, it was pretty much non-existent. Um, I it was one of the reasons that I wanted to do it largely. You know, I thought my path in wrestling was going to be going, use it to get fit and use the acting side of me to become a manager or, or something like that, rather than actually stepping in the ring. Um, so for me, it was always about, you know, losing weight. I'd, I'd had, a, had an operation on my back the year before. Um, it was a whole motorcycle accident thing. And um, I had surgery on my back and I gained a lot, a lot of weight because I was on the couch for three months. I couldn't, I, you know, I, I couldn't really be active um, and I ballooned away up to something like 23 stone um, and through the first two and a half years of the asylum uh, I managed to shed four stone of that um, so I was never really fit um, and it's still something I would say to even this day I would probably say as far as training session goes you'll probably still find me to be the one at the back of the group but I will say that everybody encourages you nonetheless obviously you know my size has its advantage. I've never been a skinny guy. I've always had the broad shoulders and things like that. Um, 
you know, it, it's always been something that I've had about my physique, but the 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 fitness aspect is something that I didn't have. And I think, to be honest, going in with three days' notice to, to my first session was probably a bit of a wake-up call. But, hey. <laughs> and then how, you, you mentioned the cardio bit of it, but how was that first session? Was it a bit of a, I don't know if you did any backyard wrestling, I mean, obviously not at home because that would be against uh, what WWE's guidelines would say. <laughs> but uh, it was, it was, when you got into that, that session for the first time, was it a bit... How real did it become as soon as you got in there? Very. Um, I mean, by, by this point in time, I had been following ICW for a couple of years. I started to know who people were, you know, all my coaches and stuff. And I remember that we were the last intake to have the small unit in the asylum. So there's, there was two units. We've, we've moved it into a larger one now, um, but there was a much smaller one. And at the start of every session, you had to take, because we had two wrestling rings and one was and bits like stacked against the other one so you'd have to at the start of every session carry it out um and i remember picking up the board and going oh my god this is heavy this is like if this is how it feels in my hand how's it going to feel when i'm landing on it you know but what i always remember is there was 20 of us just stood in absolute silence everybody just as nervous as each other um and you know i'm looking around and i'm looking at all these coaches and Wolfgang's the only person that I know, but he's not turned up yet. And I'm like, oh my God, I've nobody to speak to. I'm, I'm, you know, it was eating me up a bit. But after five, 10 minutes, man, you got to go in and introduce yourself. Again, they thought I was crazy because I said that I would, if they asked if you could have a match with anybody, who would it be? And I said, the acolytes. Um, you know, but a couple of wee icebreakers here and then you started to feel the rhythm. Then they started to put you through your paces. And I did struggle a lot on the cardio. Um, and again, as I say, I still struggle. It's something that I'm improving on. I'm, I'm losing, you know, I'm still getting fitter and fitter as the year goes. It was never going to be a short-term process. I mean, there's some of these guys like the latent buzzers and stuff that can just come in, hit the ground running and become superstars. Um, for me, I knew it was never going to be that way. And, you know, I, I was prepared to take as long as it took to make my debut in the first place. Um, but I just had to turn up each week and that's, that's what I kept doing. So, you know, you get there. <laughs> I mean, no, no one's going to uh, go down you for if you come in each week and try. Don't like moan that you're not getting the opportunities or anything like that. As long as you get in, do what you're asked to do, maybe more than well, what, what work you do. Exactly. I mean, the eight week, the eight week induction course. I mean, I'd never done a forward row in my life. And you know the eight-week induction course is to try and see, not if you can do it all, but if you're well, if you're able to learn. You know, if you're willing to listen and learn, they want to take a chance on you. And there was a couple of things that I did get wrong in my in my assessment to get through to the next level. And I remember being so nervous about it. Um, but the thing is, we all did encourage each other, and we 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 were the first Wednesday intake, but we were also the first intake where everybody that got assessed got through. So we were the first one to fully pass. Um, and, you know, they, they did get stricter as the, the years went on. They, they kind of had to get a bit stricter with what they were, uh, who they were letting through because, unfortunately, some people did come through with the wrong interpretation of what it was going to be. And some of them, it wasn't for them or they would end up injuring themselves or other people. And accidents are going to happen in training, of course, yeah, but there were some people that just couldn't listen to, to the coaches. And it wasn't that the coaches were giving bad advice because if that was the case... None of us would still be there. Um, so they got stricter as it went on. So I think I, I think I scraped through with the skin of my teeth and I was lucky on that before they got a bit, a bit stricter uh, with the whole fitness thing, you know. 
Uh, so you said everyone got through uh, got that round anyway. Uh, is yeah. there anyone that's still, I was going to say active, but nothing's happening now. But uh, is there anyone still going? So out of that group, I was, for, for the longest time, I was the only person still there. Um, out of 20 people that slowly faded away, some made debuts and then left, some just started to, uh, you know, started to drop off. Um, Ravy Davy, he he'd came through a previous intake, but I, I think there was some personal circumstances and he had to he had to miss his, his assessment and take a, a couple of weeks away. Then he came in maybe two weeks before the end of our intake and he joined in with us. So realistically, there's me and Ravy Davy. Um, I would say from that day, the assessment day, are still there. Um, also a guy called Daryl. Um, you're gonna have to look out for him. He's he's learning, man. This guy, this guy used lockdown to his advantage and he went away and the guys came back in phenomenal shape he's he's turned it around um but he he came with us and again after after the intake some personal circumstances he stepped away um but he's came back he's more mature and i think he's going to do very well now so there's three of us really i would say it's amazing seeing seeing uh, folk make that big transformation during lockdown guys like uh andy wild and uh uh, Taylor Bryden as well, who's just like shredded yeah. now. Do you know um, what? I'm, I, I, I must admit, I'm kicking myself for how I reacted uh, during the, the whole coronavirus thing. And I'm taking my hat off to a lot of people, a lot of people that I looked up to as well. You know, obviously Andy Wilde being a bigger a bigger guy like myself was something that I would look to. And to be honest, I need to take a leaf out of his book. And, you know, I see him uh, on recent tapings and stuff. The guy just looks incredible and fair play to him, you know. Yeah, that's just phenomenal. As, as, I, as I've sat during most of the lockdown, well, I, I work from home during lockdown, so right. it's not like I, I it, it doesn't seem like you miss it, but I would have a 10 minute walk to work, a 10 minute walk back, and then I'd have to walk home as well to, to get the dog out. So it's at least an hour of walking I would do a day. Yeah, yeah. And it's gone. <laughs> so and I, and I put on like uh, two stone since last mm -hmm. year. And you think, how? I'm not doing that much difference, but clearly that hour a day has made all the difference. Absolutely. I mean, the at the start of the lockdown and stuff, obviously there was no gyms and, you know, I was getting myself out and I was doing 5K a day, but um, it was damage limitation because for the rest of the day, I was sitting around the house. I was, you know, chilling out with the guys, you know, would be on the PlayStation or whatever else. Um, and, you know, I have to hold my hands up and be accountable and say that I ate crap, I drank like crap, um, you know, because... My job, I drive for a living, so when I'm working, I'm not. I don't really drink alcohol. I don't. I, I tend not to drink. But for the first three months, I took off work. I just I worked for myself, so I just stayed home, stayed safe, and unfortunately, you know, the, the beer belly came back a wee bit. But I would say I'm probably about the same right now. I'm probably sitting a good two stone heavier than I would want to be, um, and I'm looking at getting that shredded before my first match comes up this year. Hopefully, this year. What a segue, because we'll go up to your first match now. Uh, so you've been training, uh, and then you're told that you've got your, your debut. Now, the Germans at Cage Match have had a really rotten record so far. Uh, they say your first match was against Mad Walter, uh, April 2018. I'm going to guess it was a gala or uh, a battle royal beforehand, surely. Uh, there was two two battle royals at gala days before that, yeah. Um, so the first one, I was out under a horrendous name called Tommy Dean. I had longer hair. I was wearing the worst tights in the world. I was severely overweight. Um, but I'd only been wrestling 
less than a year at training, you know. So I wasn't, like, I was just there for the experience. Um, it was in my neck of the woods in Glasgow and East End, um, so I could bring some family along and stuff like that. And it was all right, you know. It, it went down to the final two with me and a man called Elgin Jero, who I still suspect was Sam Barber in a mask. Um, but, you know, Elgin Gerald uh, got the win and, and burst my lip in the process. Um, but it was good fun. And then the following year, again, another battle royal, same place, and I won that one. Um, so that was good. And a few months later, it was my debut against Madwalk, yeah. It, it took me far longer than it ever should have for me to, to get the link for Elgin Gerald. Um, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's an interesting name. And then when you mentioned Sam Barber, I was like... I can't confirm if it is or isn't him. I, I've, I've never seen him without the mask. And I only see him at those Battle Royals, so I don't know what he's doing in his spare time, you know. But it could be. could be. Uh, so, well, discounting the Battle Royals then, because it, it's it's gala days, it's a great experience, but really yeah. people that are watching it aren't going for wrestling. Uh, your first match then with, with Mad Walter. Uh, yes. Not, of course, not Walter from NXT. Uh, no. But... That's what debut that would be. Um, when were you told you were getting your first singles match then, and what was your kind of reaction, uh, preparation for it? So we came back, we, you, every Christmas time we'll, we'll take a bit of a break um, for two or so weeks, and we were kind of at that stage where Stevie Boy had just joined as a coach, and he, he tended to be one of the main ones taking my classes, and it got to a point where after one of the sessions, he said, you know, we had training matches and stuff, and he, he said, you know, you're, you're ready. He said, the only thing for you to do now is go out in front of the crowd and make mistakes, and that's how you're going to learn. So we took the Christmas break, and that was on my mind a bit. So I was focusing on that. Plus, every January, people want to hammer the gym anyway. So I had that bit of extra motivation. And when I came back after it, I started to pitch ideas to, to Red Lightning. And he said to me, you know, he said, look, Let's let's look at it for the first you know first part of the year. We'll we'll get you some ring time. We'll get you an experience in front of the crowd. Like just keep doing what you're doing. Unfortunately, and then it wasn't his fault. Just to, to clarify this, but there was a an ICW show and there was a a schmoz between Bram and Ravi Davy. Um, I was ringside security at the time, and unbeknownst to Red, I'd been asked to to try and separate them. Red has seen me separate, try to separate Bram and Ravi Davy with one of the other guys. And Red's like, what are you doing? He's, gra he's grabbed me uh, and he's choked me out. And just the way I went down, it was it was my fault entirely. But the way I went down, I went down funny on my elbow and I dislocated it. So it, it set me back a little bit. Um, I, I felt the pain that night. I still loaded, it, loaded out the show, loaded the van, everything else. And then the next morning I realised something was up. But again, no fault of anybody's but myself. Um, and it was a total miscommunication in the first place. But these things happen, you know. Um, so I took about, a, I think it was five, six weeks I took just to sort of rehab my arm and get back in. And initially he'd penciled me in for my debut in the March. But because of my arm, it got moved to the, to the April. Um, and that, that's all the information I had was you'll be wrestling 22nd of April. And I was like, Right, okay. Don't know who your opponent is yet, but 22nd April. Cool. So I kept going to train, and then me and Walt, we're, we're, we're good mates. Um, we tend to work together well. He trusts me enough, despite being stick thin and I'm, I'm a big man, he, he, he trusts me enough not to, to hurt him. Um, and we just had a really, really good training match, and 
the next day I got a, a message saying, yeah, it's going to be going mad walk. Um, Stevie really liked the match in training. He felt it would work in front of the crowd. A couple of wee things to change, but this is where we're at. Um, and that was the opportunity that I got for my first match. So I was pretty excited about it. It was also my, my first real time to, to try the bouncer gimmick as well. So we'll take a brief stop there and go to way before the wrestling then. Um, so from listening to, to Frank Manley's podcast, I'm going to play shout-outs because you'll be listening to this one. I know it. Um, <laughs> Hi, Frank. <laughs> uh, you've got a filmmaking degree. So that's... Uh, and, you, and you said you had interest in acting. So... Did you find when you when you were going into to start and training thing that your your interest in acting you think that would be an advantage or how how did you get yeah. or how did you get into filmmaking? We'll start with that. How did you get um, to, to go into filmmaking? Well, it was no, so it was never really filmmaking. It was always acting and performance. Um, I had never really had much experience behind the camera until I went to university, and I started throwing myself into projects for other other classes because I was still in the theatre class. Um, I'd never had any desire at that time to do anything for screen. And then once I started to to work with people at uni and you know get in front of a camera and stuff like that, um, and then behind cameras as well, it just started to to pique my interest a little bit. Um, as far as I feel like I've went off the question already there, sorry. Um, right. But um, what were you asking? Sorry, the um, I was the, asking the, if it's the acting or? thing would be an advantage for the wrestling. Yes, absolutely. Um, again, I knew it was going to be physical, I knew it was going to hurt, but I always thought you know the acting side of things would be a good advantage for me. And again, I went in with the mindset that I would use it to get me fit, but also try and angle myself as some type of manager or you know ringside appearance rather than actually in the ring um and for the longest time that was that was still the plan until i you know i think it was until i started to get a couple of training matches under my wing i thought mm, i'm actually quite enjoying this side of things because they seem to be happy with the intensity that i could bring like i can i, I might gas myself out with it but you know if i'm out there it doesn't matter if there's one person or a hundred people I'll, I'll still interact with them I'll make sure that you know I'm listening to them if you know I, I'm not going to let their cheers or booze go wasted and stuff like that and when you're training at the asylum it's one of the things that really marked Dallas and stuff like that first drilled into us was that if you can't cheer for your, your mates inside the ring when they're training, how are you going to expect the crowd to like show them what, the real experience don't be sitting there all quiet and shy and it's something that we've all been really good at is supporting each other and it's, it's you know, you can tell when it's actually genuine as well, you can tell when people are genuinely invested in your training match or whether just humoring you because, oh a boo should go here, or, you know, things like that and it was probably the, the thing that I would come away with. I might, I'd maybe come out a bit exhausted or anything like that in the initial stages, but the the thing that my coaches kept coming back to me with was the intensity that I brought, the the character work that I brought, the, you know, that side of things. So I could always pride myself on that, at least, you know. Uh, and as far, I'm going to guess, as far as when you were thinking you are going to be a manager or an outside influence, uh, your first thought was then, obviously, the APA, because that's there, that was there. Uh, thing for a while anyway, just the hired gun, which end up being your character anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was always going to hopefully be something like that. It was always something that I wanted. Um, initially, I strayed away from it because I didn't want to to seem very, you know, how do I, how do I say it? But I didn't I didn't really want to to come in with a set idea. I was willing to 
to say yes to whatever they threw at me and run with it because I think the worst thing you can do is shoot down an idea. Um, and when I first initially pitched a kind of security-type gimmick, one of the coaches shot it down and said no. And I, I left it for a good two and a half years. I just left it. And I started thinking, well, why don't I do the whole acting side of things and, you know, be the... You've got your comedy and your tragedy faces and, and things like that. And I was thinking like the whole dual personality and stuff. And I even got a logo design like it. And I tried it and it was horrible. I hated it. And I just still had this burning idea of the, the sort of gun for hire gimmick. And eventually it was um, just one night in training. I said, look, can I please try this? And I tried it. Funnily enough, I tried it as baby face um, initially. And it worked. And then they said, right, you've got another eight minutes here. Try it as try it as you, and after that night they went. That's your gimmick. Just sorted. And I was like, finally, I've got what I want. But you know, so um, the comedy and tragedy thing, yeah, it could go uh, Jekyll and Hyde or Festus, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that was the issue with it. I don't think I truly believed in it. Um, I think I was just doing it to have something, you know, and. I would rather have something that I was quite far behind. I, I do have experience in the security industry. Um, you know, even as recent as, as two or three months ago, I've been working in the security industry um, since I was 18 years old. So it's not something that I'm phoning in. I do have that sort of background and that's part of where the idea came from, I guess. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the, the hired gun, that's how you end up being. Uh, was, what's, is there any story behind the name, uh, Eli Bulwark? Um, at all so Eli funnily enough Eli was the name of one of the first characters I ever played in theatre um, it, it was a musical that I was in when I was 16 years old um, called Anything Goes and I played a character called Elijah Whitney or Eli Whitney but the bulwark thing um, the initial name I had the coaches the coaches hated it um, it was Tommy Dean which was a uh, a mixture of my middle name and my nephew's name. And it, it, it wasn't me, but they, they didn't like it. Um, so I had to go away and think. And Bulwark, I, I worked, when I worked in the doors, I worked with a, a really kind of, I wouldn't say pompous guy, but he liked to, he, he thought of himself as a bit of a, a thesaurus. And he used to always call me Bull. And I always thought it was because if something kicked off, I would I would charge straight in and, and deal with it. And eventually he said to me, he's like, no, I said, you're a bulwark. And I'm like, what's a, what's a bulwark? He's like, you're, the, you're a defensive wall. He said, look the size of you. He said, you're a, you're a wall. He said, nobody's getting past you if you don't want to get past you. He said, so that's why I call you bull. And I was like, ah, okay. So a couple of, you know, wee bits and pieces here, I started to get called bull. Um. And I didn't mention it for a few years because like, I didn't really want that to be a nickname at first. And then when I was stuck for a, a ring name, we were, we were shooting through all ideas and eventually I went, went to Ruth and I said, listen, what would you think of the name? Bill work. I said, I used to get called Bill, this is why, blah, blah, blah. And he liked it. He said, right, we just need a first name. So that's when I went drafting to the to the likes of the characters I've played in the past and stuff. And Eli stuck with me because it was one of the first characters I ever played. It was the first time that I realised I actually quite enjoy acting. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how the name came together. So, I mean, if, if uh, things went another way, sliding door style, I could be speaking to the bull, Tommy Dean, uh, right now. Aye, aye. <laughs> uh, uh, 
I'm I'm so glad that I'm so glad I listened to them. Some people can get stuck in their ways and, and say no, this is what I want. But again, as I say, I wasn't willing to to do that. I'm a bit of a yes man sometimes, and I'm glad I'm. <laughs> um, so just because we've spoken about it a lot already, we'll, we'll kind of again wrestling aside. Um, what what uh, was behind your love for theatre then? Uh, was there any particular shows that you watched that was like, I love that. I need to to be doing that. Uh, what got you into it? Not necessarily. I think I'd, I'd done a bit here and there in high school, and every time I'd done it, it was always by chance. I would all, the first time I ever done something again was a musical when I was in first year at uh, high school, and I initially went along to be a light technician. And the day that I went, someone pulled out, and the drama teacher turned to me and said, "Can you sing?" I went, "I don't know." And she went, "Right, sing the scales." So I sang the scales, and she went, "Right, here you go." So I was in Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat. Didn't think anything of it. And then a few years later, I've done something else, again, by chance. Um, and we won a, a Shakespeare uh, skills competition. So that, it was never something I was pursuing. I never had interest in it. I wanted to be a mechanic. I was just going to go and do my own thing. And then there was a, an amateur uh, dramatics company called Glasgow Skills Youth Theatre. And it was while we were at school, you could go every Thursday, you'd rehearse. And then eventually you'd put on a show in the Mitchell Theatre or the Tramway Theatre, which are two big theatres in Glasgow. Um, and one of my friends, she, she really wanted to go, but she didn't want to go alone. So three of us went. And then by the again, by the time it came to the showtime, I was the only one still there at the three of us. Um, and I just loved it. I just loved the whole... I think I've always been about the escapism. And I think this is something that I'm realising as I get on in life as well, wrestling, acting, streaming. Like, I'm, I love escapism. And I think that was the thing for acting, was that you get to be someone else for a bit. Um and that was the first time that I realised oh, I want to do this full time. Um, straight after that show, I left school, applied for college, went to college. Um, I, I'm talking the week after that show, like I left school. I didn't wait about, I just left. Uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then eventually went on to, to university and stuff like that, which brought some more amazing experiences. Um, so, I mean, what is there any particular shows that you, you enjoy watching, uh, whether it's... A yeah, uh, live theatre or, or just like musicals. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I found myself really enjoying musical theatre, but I, I'd never held myself as much of a dancer. I, I could hold a tune and I could act, but I can. I was never much of a dancer. Um, I was a bit heavy on the uh, on the feet, so you know, I would love to watch them, but I knew that it was never going to be the path that I wanted to go. I love theatre. I love. Um, I'm a big fan of comedy, but I I, I tended to be sort of typecast into more serious roles sometimes so when I got the comedy roles I took it and I ran with it um, but I would love to go to like the, the, the French theatre and you know take in some shows you know you'd always try and take in a, a bit of everything on the day that you're through in Edinburgh so you, you'd go and you would try and find your, your comedy and you try and find your darker style you try and find your contemporary pieces and stuff like that um, and again, screen work was never something that I thought about until I went to uni a few years later. So it was always theatre for me. Big, big fan of Oklahoma. That's probably my favourite musical. I must admit. And I got to play Judd Fry in that one, which is a good villain. So um, I, don't, I don't know why. I've got my uh, list of five musicals I have to see on the stage at some point. Um, and it's it's a very long process, but finally, like, I've booked tickets for one, and it's Jersey Boys. Uh, it's <laughs> And oh, my, my, we're, we're getting on the run up to, to my wedding. Uh, 
with me and my wife, obviously. Uh, obviously, well, me and my wife. <laughs> uh, uh, she, she went, had like a mum's Hindu, because my mum's not a going out person, so I did that for the mums. And they went to see Jersey Boys, mm-hmm. and I was furious. Oh, I couldn't go. I could go. I was like going, how dare you go to Jersey Boys? Yeah. Uh, but that, uh, Hairspray. Hairspray is amazing. I, I love the film. I just, I, I, it's one I could watch over and over again. Uh, I'm going to absolutely forget one now. Wicked, I want to see, just because it's wicked, obviously. Yeah. It um, Hamilton kind of dips in and out, because uh, usually if, if I forget one, Hamilton goes into that that slot. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, I, I don't know if it's now just... just because my wife just plays this soundtrack over and over again. It's been out, as of recording, just about a year. And yeah. there's not a day goes by where I don't hear Alexander Hamilton. Uh, or it's, Burr, It deserves or to be there, though. It deserves to be there. It's such a good musical. Um, I think for me, you know, I've been lucky enough to see some musicals um, that I wanted to see and, and take a few off. But um, the most recent one I went to was Book of Mormon. Um and that is, you need to have a certain type of humour for it. And unfortunately, my partner didn't. And she didn't know what she got herself into. But she came with me down to London anyway. We got to see it. And it was it was fantastic. But um, for me, and I still need to see We Will Rock You. I'm dying to see We Will Rock You. Um, I would love to see... I would, I would probably say Jersey Boys is up there as well, to be honest, of, of ones that I've still to see. Um, I've seen Chicago a couple of times, I believe. I think I've seen it twice. Chicago is awesome. That's well, I'm a big fan of Chicago. Book of Mormon's the other one that, that I've got, we've got tickets for, whether whenever it happens. I don't know yeah. Why. Uh, <laughs> but the only one I've ever seen like live is Footless. Uh, oh. And I went in with like real trepidation because I hated the film. Right. I just, I didn't get it. I didn't find it entertaining, but I watched it like 20 years after it came out. So I don't think I, I was going to get it. And then I went to go see the, the on stage, it was Garth Gates with... Uh, Oh, the guy who can't dance. Not Kevin Bacon. But uh, yeah, he, he was there. And I was like, this is actually, this is all right. This is, I can get into this. But another film I just couldn't yeah. do. Couldn't do it at all. All, all shook up for me. Um, it's the very similar film, uh, films in theatre plays is all shook up in Footloose because it's a similar type of deal. Um, but all, all shook up, I've seen from two different amateur theatre groups. And I've loved it every time. And I've been looking out to try and catch, uh, you know, a professional dramatic version of it coming to Glasgow or Edinburgh, somewhere like that, because I would go and see that in a heartbeat as well. I'm a big fan of Elvis's music, so I would love to go and see that. Um, so, but dive back into the wrestling. <laughs> I've somehow developed a, 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 like a, a set way of doing these podcasts. I don't know how it's happened. It's just how it happens. Um, so you've had your debut with Mad Walter. Yeah. Um, and you're... you're you're the bouncer, you're, you're the bulwark, you're, you're the hired gun. The mm-hmm. only comparable that I can think of maybe in Scotland um, is probably Sweeney, I would say. Yeah. Would be the only other guy kind of doing that big, kind of Big, big fan of Sweeney. Big fan of Sweeney. Um, so I was going through some of your matches. One didn't appear on cage match, but I know what happened, uh, is your singles match with Lionheart. Yes. Yes. Uh, how how was it going into that? And uh, was there any... Because I know... Lionheart's one of those guys, best um, of peace, of course, that uh, it's a tough one to crack, but once you cracked him, he's, he's there for you forever. So what was it like I, going into that match with Lionheart? 
Well, firstly, I think I think he's prob. I, I think it's probably been a, a, a an instance where the coaches have went right. We're having a show in Deniston. That's 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 Eli's neck of the woods. Um, we need to give him a match. Probably better putting him up against the coach because it's his first crowd. Um, Outside of a five-pound wrestling show, that was going to be my first um, night at the asylum, as we call them. Um, who wants to take it? And I think he probably just went, oh, you know what, I'll take one for the team and I'll do it. But um, Adrian, for me, like, I, I had a good relationship with Adrian in the sense that from even, you know, soon after I got into, you know, through the induction class, I was at his shows helping out. Um, at PWE and stuff like that, I was backstage. If he needed something done, you know, I would I would drive do airport runs for him. If he, if he had imports coming in or you know people like that, I was always one of the first ones to say, you know, I'll go and pick them up. I can't admit publicly how many sick days I took off work to to go to his shows and help him out with things, but um, he, he knew I was good for it, and I think he appreciated that, even if it was just to go and stick up some posters in here for him or anything like that. So we, we had a good relationship. He was always, you know, one of the first nights out that we had. He was looking after me and, and things like that. Um, so always, I, I think he always kind of wanted to look after me. Then came the match. Um, the match... I don't know how the match came about. I still don't really know how the match came about. But as far as I knew, the card was set and that was it. And there, there's always that wee glimmer, especially when it's coming to Dennis. And I was always kind of hoping that they would maybe fit me in on the card. And I got a message off, off Rudo one night just saying, you know, are you available to help that day? And I went, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll be there to help set up and stuff. And I went, well, I might have a match for you. And I went, all right, cool. Who who with? Thinking, you know, possibly maybe Davey or something like that. And they went, Adrian? I went, aye. Like, absolutely, I'll go for that. Don't get me wrong, the butterflies were kicking in at the same time. The issue we also had was that the, 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 the tickets had almost sold out. I think there was something like 12 tickets left. And at that point in time, every asylum show that we had, I was probably bringing in between 20 to 25 tickets. Um, alone, like myself. So he kind of had to say to me, listen, there's only so many tickets left. Please don't buy them all. I was like, oh, crap, right, I'm going to figure this one out. So I managed to get enough for, for my core family and my partner and stuff like that to come and see it. Um, the match itself was probably one of the first ones I walked away feeling a bit proud. There was a few mistakes in the match. I'll, I'll often admit that. And if you listen closely on the, the video, you can actually hear him sh uh, shout at me at one point, but it was just a miscommunication. But what I, I think I learned more after the match than, you know, what I'd learned after the few months wrestling prior on shows, um, because he, he took the time, he, he stood with me after it and said, right, this was good, here's how we could have made it better. This wasn't so good, here's how we can make this better. And he had a good way of explaining things like that without sounding patronising or, or talking down to you. It spoke to you. It treated you as the same level. And this was this was not long before he became world champion, you know. Two days later, um, I jobbed out. To, I say jobbed out, but I got my ass handed to me by Jackie Polo, who was a champ at the time as well. Um, so it was a bit of a busy weekend. Um, but he, he, he treated me as an equal for that that night and I'll never forget it and I'm, I'm forever grateful for it. Um, that Again, that's on my notes as well. Uh, you end up in somehow in a world title match uh, <laughs> with Jackie Polo, which, yeah. which of course that was during that time where he was just grabbing folk and putting them in a, a headlock and then that was yeah, that was it. But <laughs> what was it like going into, 
I mean, that would have been your, your lack of a better term, ICW in-ring a debut. And I said, I mean, it's certainly one that I always put in the CV and just hope that they don't look into it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, that came about shortly after he'd won the title and he was trying to, you know, send a message home about his headlock and just how devastating it was. Um, and again, I've always been the type to say, you know, if somebody gives you an opportunity, don't say no to it because you think it's beneath you. And there probably could have been people that would have went, I mean, why are you doing that? You're just making yourself look bad on, you know, in front of ICW. But at the same time, I was there to do a, a specific job. I felt like I did it well. I felt like Jackie was, Jackie was actually more than accommodating. Um, he was willing to to let me get a bit more in than what you've seen. And I'm, again, I'm grateful to Jackie for that because that's the first time that me and him had ever held a conversation. Um, but, you know, Jackie, Jackie is another one that I hold as probably one of the best in the British scene. And it was just nice to share the ring for a couple of minutes with him. And, and even though it ended badly for myself, it's still pretty cool to be standing across from a world champion and looking at that belt and people going, yeah, like, oh, they, they didn't use Eli, but they used my mother name. Um, but there were, you know, there was a few chants for me, which was nice to hear in the middle of ICW. Um, it just didn't go my way, man. <laughs> that's what I liked about that, because, uh, of course, he did the same thing when he came up to uh, Aberdeen. Because uh, yes. that was my problem. I think it was my first ICW show. Must be, because uh, Lloyd Hart was the champion when he, they came up uh, again. Right. Um, and he had a... Um, did it, I think it was Ryan Riley from it, it was, it was. I was that one. I've got an unfortunate picture with him looking up the, the hole of a, 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 a inflatable sheep, which <laughs> I'm going to get Ryan on at some point, and that'll be one of my questions. Just look at his picture. What do you think? Um, but yeah, he, he gave he gave far more than he probably needed to. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're only good as your competition. If you're just going in, tapping someone about, and then beating them. What have you done? <laughs> you're well, just exactly. being someone that's lower to you. If you, exactly. them, if you have them as an equal for a moment, then it makes sure things look better. It, it, it's something that I've always appreciated um, with a lot of these guys is, you know, I, I've been in a couple of rumbles with them and things like that. I was in the Elite Rumble um, and I came out, I was like number 19. I, was, I wasn't going to be in for long, but... Um, you know, when I went out there, I was in the ring. There was Joe, Mark, Jackie. There was Kiffy West, uh, Leighton Buzzard, and somebody else was there as well. Can't remember, but a lot, of, in my eyes, big names, right? Uh, big names. And I, I look up to Leighton and things like that as a bigger name than myself as well. Of course, I do. He's a superstar. But um, I remember Sam the cutting a bit intimidated with that one. And... I went before I went out, you know, some of them approached me and said, Anything you want to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm just there to to take a beating off you guys. I'm like, no, 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 like get some stuff in. Like, let's let's give you a, a, a bit of a page here, like give give you a chance to get something in. And I, I, I can't thank them enough. Like the, the coffees and, and Jackie, um, they did, they took the time. You know, me and Joe were trading off in the middle of the ring. The the polos let me um get a good bit of offense into both of them. Like they gave me a bit of time and they, they took that time to, to talk to me. And I think that that's the socially awkward aspect of me is that I sometimes go, oh, why, why are they doing this to me? Like, why are they being so nice to me? I don't deserve to be. And in actual fact, like, you know, they're just they're just looking out for the, the people coming after them, really. 
and I res- I, I'm, I'm again I'm grateful for it. I hear so many stories about Mark Coffey specifically, who's who's more than willing to just take folks side and go, right, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get this in. Um, and then, it's, yeah, uh, of course, all of them, of course, but yeah, Mark Coffey seems to always pop up in conversation when you, when you speak about a guy who doesn't need to do these things, but goes out of his way to do it. Oh, he he was he was one of the he was one of the main ones that did, and he even when we were in the ring, you know, I don't like pulling the curtain down all the time, but we, obviously we, you know, I'm sure most people that listen to this show know that we do talk to each other, so I hope I'm not pulling down the curtain too much here, but, um, you know, he was shouting over to me and making sure that I was getting stuff in, and it can be a bit overwhelming when you're in there with people like that, and you've got a big crowd around you and stuff, so he was he was looking after me, um, big time. Um, as far as like kind of. I'll, I'll briefly go back to the theatre a bit. When you see, like, Leighton Buzzard, of course, who's a, who was a theatre kid, uh, he did uh, Oliver and all that kind of stuff. Was, yeah. was he a guy you kind of gravitated towards uh, that you're able to kind of have that common ground um, at all? Were you able to discuss that kind of thing back and forth? Like, uh, it's it's funny. Like, yeah, it is funny because I would consider him probably one of my best mates, um, but it's something we don't talk about very often is acting. We, we did initially um, talk about it when he first came up and stuff from England. Um, we spent a bit of time chatting about it, and I think that's probably how we made the first connection to chat to each other. Um, but it's something in later years that we've never really discussed. I think now when we're either in the gym together or training together, we just focus on wrestling a lot, and you'll find us probably talking about wrestling 95% of the time. Like It, it goes for the same core group of us when we're at the gym or whatever. We're just constantly chatting about wrestling now. Um, but it's definitely something we've had in common. I would say that. Um, he, I, I mean, he's earned every bit of it, but the guy has had a lot of good fortune in his way. Um, and that's part of the perks of living down south when it comes to acting is there's more opportunities down there and, you know, good on him. He grabbed a good few of them. So, yeah. Um, so you continued your, your like GPWA, you were the, the, the muscle uh, a lot of the times. Uh, but you also made it appearance up, uh, down, down, not up, uh, and up roll. It's because I called up roll. That's kind yes. of got me confused there. Uh, up roll championship wrestling. Um, so that's a totally new environment. Of course, you've done things, uh, GPWA, ICW, um, W3L, like around about, but up roll, totally new scene. Uh, yeah. How, what was it like? Can you say you do get a bit anxious and what was it like going in front of a brand new crowd, especially an English crowd, I suppose, because it's famous to yeah. do England, Scotland, uh, yeah, <laughs> Oh, I, oh I. Um, I mean, again, I think I was lucky enough in my opponent because they were willing to look after me. They were willing to make sure that, you know, they weren't just there to to get themselves over. And that was HT Drake, the first one. Um Again, you know, that the uproar thing had been something we've been in communication quite a few times. I'd, I'd uh, driven a few of the guys down for shows and things like that a couple of times. And I'm the type of person that if I'm going to, uh, going to a show or anything like that, or if I'm just driving someone somewhere, if I can help out, I will. So, you know, I got there and they were unloading the ring van. And I helped unload the ring, built the ring, just got chatting to people. And you're right, I, I do get very angry. Like I'm, you know... I tend to preach about uh, mental health and things like that quite a lot. I'm somebody that goes through a lot of social anxiety and stuff, but I find myself forcing myself to kind of go into those situations because it's only way you're going to you're going to get better at it. Um, so you know you, you can use those chances to chat to people, and that's what I did. And 
you know, the, the follow-up to that was we just got chatting online and again, I drove someone down and when I was down, they said, listen, how about next show you come and work for us? And I went, yeah, absolutely. So I was still nervous because you don't know who you're going to get. Um, and there was a good few months between. They don't run shows as often as most shows up here. But um, when I, I got H.T. Drake, I knew of him. Um, you know, I, I'd never seen much of what he did, but I did know of him. Um, I was lucky enough I could speak to some of my coaches who have wrestled him in the past and stuff and get an idea of to what sort of stuff he does. Um, and he, he couldn't have been a nicer person, honestly. Like, he worked at my pace. He didn't want to, to throw me in the deep end. He knew the experience that I had. He, he, he understood the experience that I had. He wasn't going to go, you know, put me a fish out of water or anything like that. And... In terms of the crowd, the, the crowd were actually pretty good. Uh, the, there was a lot of kids in the crowd, um, and I don't think they quite understand the whole bouncer gimmick, but certainly the adults, I could you know have a bit of back and forth with the adults, and then when they see a mean old man shouting at their mum, they're going to hate me anyway. Or if I'm taking a pint off their dad, they're going to hate me anyway. Um, things like that, you know, just rile up the crowd as best as I can, and it was important to keep them going, even though they couldn't always understand me. <laughs> but... Um, I loved it. I really loved it, and I, I do enjoy working for them. And hopefully, again, when the shows start to open back up, I'll get back down there. Uh, another uh, note that I have for outside of, of Scotland uh, it was probably a bit more of a bittersweet one. Um, this way, you were part of the Lionheart tribute show for PCW. Uh, yes, I was. Um, yeah, in fact, that'll almost be an anniversary that soon. Um, yeah, scary thing. It's, it's uh, what that'll be two years, two man. years. Um, so yeah, so a bit bittersweet. You make a make an appearance in PCW, but yeah. it's because of this. So um, I don't know how much were you uh, involved with the kind of setup and gathering the GPWA guys to go down for that. Um, I don't want to dwell on obviously uh, Adrian Linehart passing because um, yeah, we like to, I, I like I don't know about you, but I like to focus on the positives and the, and the things that he leaves behind and the legacy. No, you're, you're so right, and the and the nice stuff. Yeah, um, but. What were your feelings going into working for PCW um, off the back of, of, of course, a terrible thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I can speak a wee bit candidly about it, initially I was a bit, I was a bit hesitant to go down um, because I didn't want people thinking I was using this passing to get a booking. And that's the truth. I was, I, I was, I was worried about that because there was a group of us who hadn't been seen before down there, and suddenly were loading into cars to go down. The truth is, we were asked, um, "Could we possibly get some people down? We'll do a battle royal, blah blah blah." It wasn't myself that organised it. I think it was really Davy and possibly Leighton that organised it. But I was one of the drivers, so um, the whole experience though was totally worth it. It was, it was totally worth it. Just because I, I knew myself why I was doing it. And that was all that mattered in the end. And that's why I went down. Um, and, and it was totally worth it because there was so much love in that room that night. So much love. It was very, very hard to be a heel that night um, because people were... They, they knew that I was trying to be the bad guy, but they also knew that we'd just lost a coach and a friend. And, um, you know, they, they paid us a lot of respect that night um, when we came out. You know, the, we, we entered the... It was going to be a whole... GPWA versus PCW type deal and things like that. So we came out first as Team GPWA. I've got a lot of photos of, of us standing in the ring together. And, you know, I just remember me standing sort of sitting in the ring and one of the guys putting my hand on my back and stuff. And 
it was just it brought everybody together and that's that's what I took away from that is how close everybody became and it shouldn't have took a death for that to happen it really shouldn't have taken a death for that to happen but I just remember that night as a positive because of how how close we all became after that um again likewise the the people there showed a lot of respect to us the backstage um you know they couldn't have been more welcoming um we've got a kind of etiquette that we've picked up from coaches and stuff to make sure that we don't leave a mess behind us and they fed that back because we're the type to say right grab a bin bag let's go and we'll go around and we'll clean things up and we were just showing them the same respect they showed us in my opinion but you know they were good enough to to praise us for that and I'll only have a fond memory of that night to be honest um, to, to kind of absolutely steer away from that, uh, for a weird question that just popped into my head, um, you started wrestling with, uh, a sh- in a shirt, uh, and then of course it's, I know, it's a totally, it's, it's very much a so left field, No, no. I'm just curious now, um, you started wrestling in a shirt and then quickly now it's become the, the, the singlet and, and trousers, Yeah. Uh, how hot was it wrestling in a shirt? <laughs> That's the exact reason that I wrestle in a singlet, um... <laughs> That first match was hell on earth. Um, it was it was only I think the match was like ten minutes total from curtain to curtain, but I was so warm that day. Like it's the middle of spring, it was quite warm that day. Um, as I say, I'm a big guy myself, so I do I, I do tend to get a bit sweaty here and there. And the shirt just was a bad idea to rest on. And because I, I, I remember I didn't get the top button off, I don't think. And I remember at one point I was trying to get up and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm, I'm suffocating. And it was straight after that I went to to look in Sabrina. I was like, I, I, I need a single. Can you create me a single? And I went, yes. I got a match in between then. I got to wrestle TJ Rage on a gallery. Um, and again, I wore the singlet. We were outside. It was a warm day. Um, and I was I remember standing before the show going, I'm going to sweat, man. I'm going to be so warm in this shot. And then about Maybe the match before it started to rain, <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, I'll be cooler," but the ring's going to be a bit slippy. Um, so, but yeah, the, the the shirt the shirt was very very warm. I've not ruled out doing it again. No, I might I might con- consider doing it again because I like the look of it. So I maybe just need to get used to it. But uh, as, as a bigger guy myself, I know I did a job interview wearing a shirt, and as soon as unfortunately it was here, so um, as soon as it, the like camera was off, I was like. Shirts off. This is it. <laughs> this is, it's been fifteen minutes. I've wear this thing. I'm dying. This guy's gone. Aye, you, oh. like it, it, it was a bad decision, but I would probably make the same mistake again because of how it looked. The trousers and stuff. The, the trousers are very warm as well. I must be honest, but um, I quite like. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's different having trousers, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I think it suits me a bit more having this. Like you know, coming out shirt and tie on and then while the other person's making their entrance you see me taking the clip off uh, the, the, the clip on tie off unbuttoning the shirt getting the shirt off and you know I'm ready for a fight now but let's go yeah. oh clip on ties bane of yeah. my existence I did, I did one <laughs> I did one show uh, I'm not allowed clip on ties anymore apparently I'm a grown up uh, but I had to learn how to tie a tie which is the, again worst thing ever but uh, I, I did a show once and I was supposed to be just I pretty much dressed like you. It was uh, dress, trousers, shirt, tie, and yep. a clip-on tie, thinking, I don't know how to tie a tie at this point. Every time I got in the ring, every time my hand would hit the edge of the tie as I was going into the ropes, and it was gone. 
off it would come. Yeah, I, I did find it after the show because I lost it three times. The third time I was like, "How am I going to go find it?" Uh, so I was, I, yeah, I, I was going to use my tie for for giving some heat, like because if if the tie stayed on long enough, it would be really good just to whip it off and start choking the person with it. Um, but it lasted probably thirty seconds in my debut match before it was off, and Sean had to kick it out of the ring. So, <laughs> um, bad idea. I know. I, thankfully, uh, the, the like a little girl caught it and waited until after the show to give me it back. I was like, oh, "Thank oh, God." That was kind of over. That was. But as soon as I got it back, I was like, I'm "Never using you again." It's going in a cupboard and yeah. never being seen. Um, <laughs> so I think we, we kind of covered the wrestling bit of things. So let's go back into like your filming stuff. So, what point between you starting training did you start doing the backstage segments and, and recording for ICW? Um, oh, I was a good few years in before I started doing the, the backstage side for ICW. Um, I would say I was probably about three and a half years down the line. Um, I didn't, I didn't do ring crew for ICW for the first while. Purely, the way they took the the crew in was you had to do the full shift. And while I was at university, I was working every weekend, so I, I wasn't available until like six pm every night. Um, and they just they, they couldn't split it. There was no way they could swing it at first. Um, and then it was one of the gallery shows we did. So we had we had to set up one ring in the park, and then we had to go and take the big twenty foot ring to the O2, no, not to the O2, the ABC, because they had a cage match that night. So the plan was, four of us would go build the, the ring in the park, get in the car straight up to the ABC, help help build the, the ring, and then everybody would come down and do the, the, the gallery. Uh, so that's what we did. Went back that night and they said, listen, if you want to stay about and help, then you know you can watch the show, just stay behind and help after. And that's what I did. And it was from there that I started to kind of make way into ring crew. Did a lot of ringside security stuff. And then... It was the show before the Jackie Polo match was the first show that I did as a as a promo guy. It was a show before the Jackie Polo one. Um, so when was that, God? I was a bit of time in anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the the promo thing came because the initial the promo team was you know, Jen Louise, Veronica Lestrange, and Molly Spartan. They were the the promo girls. Molly, unfortunately, couldn't make a couple of shows. I don't know. I think she was possibly travelling, um, but uh, she couldn't make it, was the crux. And they'd asked, does anybody from Ring Crew have any sort of camera experience? I had minimal from, from university times. I, I had enough to, to carry myself. Did a couple of shifts, and eventually, I don't know, you know what happened, but I was asked if I could stay on as a second camera person. And from there, I just gradually became the first camera person. Obviously, now Molly's out there killing it in, in ICW and things like that as well. But, um, yeah, so I became the, the, the backstage promo person for... I've been doing it for about two or three years, I would say now. Um, it's great fun. It's great fun. I don't know what's going to happen with the shows going back because the camera team has expanded. Maybe they're going to put a professional on it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's been a great experience and... I know I keep putting people over, and I don't mean to intentionally put everybody over, but Jen and Veronica have been nothing but but amazing for me as well, because I was aware that I was kind of coming in and interrupting. They called themselves the Power Puff Girls, and I was kind of interrupting that a wee bit. Um, but, my God, they're, they're, they're brilliant. So. Um, they, again, they, they come across like the nicest people ever. And I suppose 
kind of bring up the theatre thing. Jen's very, very uh, uh, in the, 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 the theatre kind of stuff. So, yes. so stage. So again, that's what another voice. icebreaker yeah. uh, to, to get in with that as well. So uh, it all, all kind of works out. Mm. Um, as far as, so are, are we doing any the, the, the um, no crowd tapings then as part of the crew or, or is it just, just a very much a skeleton no, staff? It, it is a skeleton staff. I've been called in for a few of them. Um, I was in last weekend with them as well. Um, it was a very good taping, actually, so keep an eye out for it. But um, I've been kind of, they've been working sort of skeleton crew. So obviously you've got your main cameraman, you've got Adam, you've got Alistair. Um, they've got a few other guys that do ringside. Um, and then they had a guy, Steve, who's been doing um, a kind of mixture. So he's been doing ringside and backstage filming for them. And to be honest, I totally understand because it, he's got more experience than me, but also he's capable of doing ringside as well as backstage. So it's one less body they need to have in, in the building in times like these. So, um, but no, I've done a few of them. I've definitely done a few of them. Um, and they've been, they've, they've been a test for a lot of people. It's been a learning curve for a lot of people, but it's, it's good to see a lot of new talent getting chances out of them as well. Uh, I hope it's the best one because, because, because uh, I organised my birthday bash uh, this just this past weekend, and I had like half of them were ICW guys, and just one by one that week they all dropped out because they were doing taping. So oh, it's the man. best taping ever. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. watching it going. This better be amazing. Yeah, uh, be worth it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, but no, okay. it's, it's, one, it's one of those things. It's just one of those things. I mean, I, I, two things: silly quiz. Booking. <laughs> well, I'm that's not going to begrudge anyone. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so outside of the last wrestling thing, and then we'll, we'll get to what you're streaming and what have you, is you're announced for Pro 2. So yes. you, you are Pro 2. Um, you're announced as tag team. No holds barred with Sean mm-hmm. Martin. Yes. How did that come about then? Because I know I've spoken to, to Logan Storm already and he's very much an ideas guy. If he's booked you, he's already got like yeah, like four years of storyline for you already kind of mapped out in his head. But uh, so how did that come about then, during Pro 2? I mean, the, the no holds barred thing, that putting me and Sean together was really a love child of Logan. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I've never, I've never worked with Sean. I'll be honest in saying that, but I think, you know, looking at each other's styles and stuff, I think we can complement each other pretty well. Um, I think we'll we'll get the look down. I think we'll, we'll get ourselves looking mean and lean and, you know, the, the no holds barred. So it, Logan initially approached me. Um, I can't remember how. I think it was through Big John that it all came about, but... I was a bit nervous to approach him because at that point in time, I hadn't been in a ring in quite some time anyway because just circumstances, like I had a bit of a, a minor car crash and stuff like that that kept me out from the ring. And then I was just about getting back to match ready when coronavirus hit and stuff. So I'd probably missed a good six months before coronavirus, if not longer, without a match. Um, and I was a bit nervous about approaching someone and going, nah, sorry, pal, you've not got enough experience. But the more that me and Logan spoke and stuff, and he's like, listen, when are you going to send me a CV? And I was like, all right, okay, I'll can get it right now. And I did, I sent him right away. But um, I came back and followed with some ideas and then he went, listen, how would you feel about being a tag team? And I was like, well, absolutely. I'm, I'm, again, I'm a yes man. I don't, I don't like saying no to opportunity. And 
he came back with Sean. And I knew of Sean. I didn't know much about Sean. But, you know, the more we got speaking and stuff and the more we got an idea of how each other works, I was like, this, this could actually work pretty well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully when the sort of no contact thing is gone, we can possibly, you know, get a session and start training together a wee bit. Um, down in Iron Girders or something like that and, you know, just put the ring together and, and get used to each other. But um, the, the no whole bad name came from the fact that he's quite a, quite a technical rest hold type of guy. I'm obviously bouncer and, you know, no holds barred, just kind of seemed to put the two styles together into a name. And we were thinking about it for a while. And I think now Logan's got the idea almost like the Heart Foundation, I guess, is what he's kind of put his together as in his his mind. And hopefully we can live up to that because Heart Foundation are just awesome. But um it should be good. I think I think Logan's got plans and you'd be silly not to see that he's got plans. The guy's putting so much time and effort into this. Um, even just before we, we've came live, he's announced you know his match graphics and stuff like that and his his trons for a lot of people. And you can tell he's he's ready to go. He's he's ready to put the the effort in, and we should be ready to to put the effort in for him as well, because he's taking a chance on us, you know. Absolutely, definitely. Um, from our brief, my brief chat with him, yeah, there's def- definitely a lot of cogs and moving parts that there that's going. It's just hoping that um, he gets the chance to to put them in in, in place. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to streaming, because I think that's going to be the next kind of big part of this um we asked you my two stupid questions and we've got a couple from uh twitter as well so one i ask ones i ask are what's your favorite dinosaur oh t-rex absolutely Classic i don't know it's probably it's probably a vanilla one but you know i, I like a t-rex yeah and uh, another one we ask is what would win a fight two sheep or one cow cow i, I was kind of thinking that was going to be an answer because the whole bull Works. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> do you know what? That, that is possibly what just influenced it. I was trying to go quick fire there, and I think a cow could a, a cow a cow could take two sheep. I, I think they could do it. <laughs> uh, before we go to the other questions, then uh, the design for your gear, of course, is is the bull. Uh, was that a uh, uh, Ivel Chucky? Um, they kind of created your gear. Was that kind of their influence for your design? Did you have any input to to get to that, or how did that come about? Yeah. Well. I kind of sent them a rough idea of what I was looking for. I really liked the idea of the, you know, the bull's head with a shirt and tie and, you know, the arms folded. And I, I really had that in my head. I just couldn't quite, I, I, I'm not very creative, so I couldn't quite put it into paper. But I explained to them as best I could. And they were the ones that drew the logo for me. And I have to say, like, they, they smashed it. I was really happy with it. Um, I've since had a couple other people send in a few different um, styles of the same thing. Um, same but different. Um, and I think that's probably going to be the type of logo that I'll stick with for some time. The, the colour choice, I kind of left to them a little bit because I was stuck. I knew I was going to go black because of the whole bad guy type thing but also because I'm a big guy and light colours don't really make you look the best. Um, I, I put a lot of trust into them. They're, they're two good friends of mine and I, I sat and explained to them what I wanted and they came back and killed it. Um, they've made me another singlet since then um, that's a, a subtle tribute to Lionheart with his, uh, with his trunks. I've not had a chance to wear it yet. Um, 
I think I will keep it for a, a certain occasion. But the whole style and the, the security down the back and it it just went so much better than I, I I could have expected, and I was I was very happy to receive it. Um, they also managed to get the measurements perfect so that I could keep my trousers on without it obscuring any of the logos and stuff. So yeah, they're, they're very talented. I kind of like that the, the bull is very similar to uh, the Brahma bull as well. I mean, you say you're a yeah. stone cold guy, but that kind of uh, it's quite. It's, quite it's cool. funny, yeah. It's funny how that transpires. Um, people get saying, oh, "You must, you must be a fan of the Chicago Bulls," and I'm like, "Well," <laughs> but the 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 logo itself turned out. I'm pretty happy with with what they did. I'm, I'm consistently happy with the work that they put into to creating people's brainchilds when they're, they're bringing out gear, you know? Um, definitely. I mean, if anyone wants to to, to find out how uh, how a joke here, I will go through the process. Um, we did, uh, the Master Embroiderer did an interview with her and it's really in depth of how her, her style and how she comes up with designs go and it's, re- it's really yeah. interesting. So I hope, hope anyone listening or watching just goes and checks it out on the website. They always um, have the, the best of jackets, the two of them as well. See, when they make their entrances, man, the jackets are always incredible. I'm jealous. <laughs> um, so to the Twitter questions I've got, I'm have got. i just going to get the weird one from Jason Hyde out of the way uh, it's pretty, how do you feel about the exchange rate from Canadian dollars to Danish krone um, I, I wouldn't even know how to answer that Like, I don't even know what the exchange rate is so what is the Canadian Danish, dollar I don't think Danish krone exists it's not euro now <laughs> no there's a Swedish krona so one dollar is six point eight Swedish krona. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, the Canadians are getting a shot. Uh, so the, the Swedes are getting a short shot here, but you know, what one Danish krona is point one two pounds sterling. That is. Oh, Danish. Um, not bad. I'm looking at Swedish. Well, that's pound sterling to this. I don't know what it is. This is a this Danish krona. So you're getting five Danish drones for one of your Canadian dollars. That's still decent. I mean, that's better than the pound to euro, let's be honest. So, Jason, you know, I, I'm indifferent to it, I would say, but it looks like there's a, a deal to be had there for, for the Danes, you know? Uh, and uh, Frank's asked, uh, how does it feel to still be in the top 10 of his most listened to episodes? <laughs> um, humbled, man. The first podcast I've ever done and... Again, you know, I don't like rabbling on on people's podcasts and bring them down, but as somebody who, who does deal with a lot of social anxiety and, um, you know, mental health issues, it's, it's it, it takes a lot to mentally prepare yourself to do something like that, especially for the first time. And to, to see that the, the podcast, the, the episode went particularly well, I mean, for, for a good run of weeks, I was, I was sitting top of the tree as well, and I was up against some big names in there. Um, just the same as I'm in here, I'm, you know, I'm not expecting to be sitting in your top 10, that's for sure. Um, but the, aye, it was a good experience and I'm very grateful for him to give me the, the platform, much the same as I'm very grateful to yourself for giving me a platform. That's the thing, I mean, you speak about the, the anxiety, this is why I do the podcast anyway, because I, outside of this, if we met at a show, I would probably have like three words to say. Even then, I'd I'd just kind of bottle up and then just just move on. Uh, so this is this is this is my mental health. This is my social interaction <laughs> during lockdown, and uh, it, it's you can tell when you speak to someone if how comfortable they are, and uh, you just adjust accordingly. But like I said, outside the show, outside of this bubble, 
I am mm-hmm. like the most one most socially inept people you'll ever meet. So, um, I, most people say after I'm going to bring myself up here. Uh, most people say after when I feed them, it's like it's just a relax, it's just a relaxed chat. Didn't, didn't worry about it at all. It's like I don't want you to because I'll, I'll do all the worrying for both of us. Don't you worry about anything. Well, I'll do I, mean, it. I think you know the, the, the through the course of me speaking to you just now, like it is, it's very. I'm I'm, I'm feeling relaxed right now, but I'm. Then that part kicks in, goes, am I rambling too much here? Am I too relaxed? You know, but no, you make it very easy to, to chat, man. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because <laughs> I think it helps us both, to be honest. Exactly. I mean, to be honest, don't worry about rambling. I, I've, I've had four hours of Scotty Swift. Nobody needs to worry about rambling when I've got two two episodes of Scotty that come to a total of about two, four hours. So no worries there for rambling, uh, which I'm now doing. Anyway, so outside of of wrestling, lockdown hit, and one of the first things that, that popped up, uh, everyone went through phases of either doing a Twitch or uh, podcasts. You went for the, the former. And it started with the Monday night quarantine. <laughs> yes. Um, so... That was that was us on my PlayStations back then. I didn't have a PC or anything like that, but um, we tried it here and there, a, a couple of wee streams of like Call of Duty and stuff, but we never really advertised it. We just kind of stuck it live, and that way, if we had any funny moments, we could share it on Facebook together. Um, lockdown hit. Um, none of us were working, and it was me, Xander, and Leighton sort of sitting together, putting together this idea of... Uh, WWE, it was 2K19, 2K20 that we used. 2K20 was abysmal, by the way, but, um, you know, we, we, we put together these cards and initially it was just for our own for our own fun and then we're like, Let, let's stream this. Let's let's see how this goes. So Xander at the time, he was doing um, pub quizzes on his, on his Twitch for us as well. So he was streaming, doing a pub quiz. We were answering in the comments or taking notes and then sending them in, in group chats and stuff. Um, and he was more comfortable with the streaming than myself. I wasn't very clued up on it. And then we started through Call of Duty as a group of like eight of us, so it was easier to to get comfortable around it. And then eventually, it was just three of us having to comment on the weirdest stuff um, happening in a wrestling ring. You know, you've got Pingu fighting the Mitchell brothers and, and stuff like that. But it was all in good fun. It was keeping people entertained. The amount of people that would tune in every Monday to watch us. And we were quite sad that by the end of it, 2K20 was letting us down by crashing so much because we had something going there. We we were planning proper pay-per-views and everything. We were taking it quite seriously Um, because there was no other wrestling at that point in time. You know, so this was our wrestling. It was ridiculous, but it was fun. So, yeah, that's how it all started. It was through Monday Night Quarantine. Yeah, uh, I kind of I, I went off the back of that and I tried two K twenty on on it, but yeah, it's just it was so bad and it was. awkward. And if you tried to do a rumble, it would crash. And although I'm still gutted that uh, I was number thirty in one of the quarantine rumbles uh, myself, uh, and then I got just chucked out straight away. <laughs> I was so gutted. I don't think I got to. I, don't, I think I, I went in and it was the closing final three graphic, and then I was chucked out. <laughs> right back in. I wasn't the booker that one, mate. Sorry, that's uh, take it up with Xander, you know. I, I can't remember if it, it might be Xander, but I, I think I still have the clip. I, I clipped it uh, on my phone. Of, of I think I was pretty, pretty much. I came in. Um, obviously, my character came in, and 
uh, I think it was Xander just pointing out that, that there is more than, than Aspen Faith in Scottish wrestling. And I was just like, that's that made me laugh. <laughs> and I, thought, I think if, if I could take it any other way, it would have sounded mean, but I was like, no, he's, he's called me out there quite quite well. That's I kind of kind of be annoyed at that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was it was just all to keep people entertained. And again, it's about that escapism that I spoke about earlier. Like that that's partly what it was for us, you know. Uh, and then it moved on to I don't know if this is before or after during, uh, but we've got Bravo Charlie one two five. So how did you start? How did you go from doing that Monday night quarantine to doing your own streaming and yeah. Going um, I had I had the channel sitting there because sometimes Xander wouldn't be about, so I would sometimes just fire up a stream. But um, I didn't really have the equipment or the facilities to actually put on quality streams. I'll be honest, you know, I was literally just streaming from a PlayStation, and then eventually they took away one of the stream functions. I can't remember which one it was, but they took away. I think it was Facebook. So you used to uh, put stuff up on Facebook, and I think they took that away from PlayStation, um, and that sort of disheartened me a wee bit. And I'd always wanted to get a PC. I'd never been a PC game in my life. I've been a console guy. Um, but I'd, I'd wanted, I was like, right, I'm going to either get a capture card and, and try this out, but I need to get a PC regardless. Um, lockdown, again, being self-employed and things like that, it wasn't the best financially. I couldn't make that decision at that point in time. I then went away and started working in security again. I was doing all right for myself. And that's when I decided to make an investment because I've got a few business plans coming up anyway. A PC was was the right investment, but I'll be honest, um, and I hope my partner doesn't, partner doesn't hear this because I justified it as a business side of things. But I, I built it with the intention of game always. Um, but I started small, like I, I'd never built a PC in my life, but I sat and I, I bought all this from scratch. Took a bit of advice from a couple of people. Um, one of the other streamers, Coach Terry, um, he sort of advised me what was good to buy, what was bad to buy. Um, but I sunk a lot of money into just the PC itself. So I had an old PC that I could take a keyboard and mouse from. I used a 32-inch TV up until two weeks ago. Um, it was very much just, just scraped together. My webcam my webcam was a, a mobile phone. I downloaded an app that I could use to stream the webcam. And it was all very hodgepodge, you know, because I spent all my money on the PC itself. And it took off, man. It done all right. So I started streaming... Oh my god, I started streaming in January. I'm six months down the line. Um, but yeah, I started streaming in January on Facebook. And I, I thought I would go there first because I figured it would be easier to try and start out there where, where I've got friends that would come and watch me. And, and thankfully they did. And then someone remembered that I, I streamed on Twitch. And they're like, well, you're never on Twitch anymore. Like, I used to watch you all the time. Where are you? And I was like, okay. So I started doing both at the same time. And I think within the first week of doing both I made affiliate on Twitch and that kind of produced the, the dilemma is you can't stream on you can't be an affiliate on Twitch and stream on Facebook at the same time so I took the plunge I decided to, to step away I had 54 followers something like that so I stepped away from Facebook and I just gave it my all man on Twitch and you know stuck with the affiliate I'm now at the stage where through Twitch and solely through Twitch, I've got a new webcam, I've got mics, I've got two lights, I've got two monitors. Like it's all just through the support of Twitch and it's it's been phenomenal. Um I'm now over I think I'm four hundred and something followers just now. Um so it, it's grown all right, man. For the for the space of six months, I'm happy with with where I'm at with it, you know. Um four hundred and thirty-six followers right now. So 
Uh-huh. I mean, that's what's on, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, so how, how do you find? Um, again, as, as an anxious person, I don't want to keep bringing that up because I think it just makes myself a bean overhead, bean over your head. But uh, how do you find? Because I, I found when I was doing it um, briefly, I I hated speaking uh, mm-hmm. on stream because I could be speaking to nobody, I could be speaking to one person, yeah. I could speak to myself who's checking the stream, and it says it's got one person and it's me that I'm speaking to. Um, how how did you find it? Just engaging the audience. It, it was tough. Um... Initially, um, I can kind of reveal this now, but like I was, I was that nervous that I had a notepad and I had conversation starters written on this notepad for if there was dead air, and I was very, very self-conscious of having dead air when I wasn't speaking, um, even if it was only one person watching. Then it probably was myself on my mobile. Um, I was very self-conscious of having that that dead air. I think what worked for me in terms of the the anxiety aspect and going again, I know I'm droning on about escapism, but everything I played, I tried to characterize it a little bit. So if I was doing flight simulator, I would start impersonating the pilot or the air hostess or anything like that. Obviously, nowadays, I'm pretty much solely GTA roleplay, um, which again, isn't everyone's cup of tea, but... I'm on a, a, a server called Scora Roleplay, which is predominantly Scottish. So you've got a lot of people with the same sense of humour as you. And funnily enough, some of them are actually wrestling fans and some of them know some of the guys that I know and, and, and things like that. It's a small world. But again, having the chance to become a character and just be that person, I, it, it gave me enough to fill the dead air without worrying about too much. And then when the chat comment, I'm, I can come out of character for a second, address them, and then go straight back into my character again. So it kind of suppressed the anxiety a wee bit. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but um, it was it was a good good way to cope with it. And nowadays, when it comes to to, to the roleplay side, I've got two characters in there. I've also been accepted. I'm a member of uh, a sort of server called NoPixel, which is the hardest server to get into. You need to have very good character work, a very high quality standard. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted. So I must be doing something right in terms of that. But by and large, it is just about escaping and, and you know, using that as my coping mechanism for when I do feel anxious, you know. And it, it kind of it merges everything. You got the from the Scottish guys know about wrestling, and you got your 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 love of theatre character. It all just kind of it, do, it does the job, it does. <laughs> as you say. Skin. It does. Um, it really does. And it's funny though because I remember the first stream I did in that server. I was very I was very nervous about it, and I remember. Th- like I, I was running around myself, I didn't know anyone, and then somebody finally spoke to me, and I'm like, oh my god, I need to speak to this person, and because, <laughs> you know, it's not like Call of Duty where you're in a game for 20 minutes and you don't see that person again or anything like that, you're, you're, you're practically, well, nowadays I'm in here every day with these people, I'm now an admin on the server, and, um, you know, you're, I'm actually making friendships out of it now as well, it's, it's a community in itself, Um but I, I remember going from that shy guy and people going, who's this? To now people knowing my name and I run the gangland and stuff. It's, it's mad how dramatic it gets, right? It's very far-fetched, but it's acting. So that's what I like about it. <laughs> uh, the closest I've come to that kind of stuff is, is uh, I'm, I'm now somehow being thrown into Fortnite. Right. Um, after one episode literally just went out with with, uh, with Aspen Faith and he was speaking about it and then I did another episode with, uh, with Zach Dynamite and he started speaking about it and like 
I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to give mm-hmm. this a, a, a good try. So now somehow I'm in a group. I get thrown in. I think they actually just throw me in because I'm useless at it. So at least they'll get at least one kill. Uh, <laughs> but I end, up, I end up now playing with, with these guys I've watched wrestle, like uh, Crusher Cray, Bradley Evans, Sammy Jane. Like this, this is weird. I don't, I don't know why I'm in this group, but somehow I'm here. But it, it's nice because I remember when I was growing up, um, my, I, I lived away from my pals and that we would all play Call of Duty, um, Modern Warfare, just locally. So it'd be like five or six of us in this, in this map, just ourselves and just battling back and forth, and uh, usually me getting shot because I'm really bad at <laughs> shooting games. But I like the banter. That's just saying. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's nice again. It'll be the buzzword for the episode, but it's, it's escapism. It, it just makes you just go all in and just enjoy it and just uh, yeah. forget about your troubles and all that kind of thing. This this is a big thing, and I don't want to go too morbid, um, especially you know uh, halfway through your, your podcast here. But um, there's been times as far as wrestling um, goes, where I mean, I, I've I've had some, a lot of stuff going in my personal life over the last few years, you know. Um, with just family life and stuff like that and there's been times where I have had to take a bit of time away from from wrestling to to deal with that and it's a shame that I need to take the time away to deal with it because I think I would deal with it much better if I could stay in wrestling and manage it because you I can't explain it but turning up to train for you know those three hours a night with those guys and you're forgetting what's outside those doors for those three hours you might you might spew you might be knackered you might not be able to walk the next day but for those three hours you, you feel amazing because you're with your pals there's not a kid in the world other than wrestling and the amount of times that i've had this conversation with the red um because it used to be as well if you weren't training you couldn't really help out shows i was one of the ones that i'd never missed a show to help out like i never missed a show i think in the six years as far as the asylum goes and the six years that i've been with them um, is it six years? Yeah, six years. Um, I've missed three shows, and that's because I've either been on holiday or had a wedding or something like that. Um, but he used to always say, "Listen, don't worry about it, man. If you've got stuff going on at home," and I'm like, "No, let like, can I just come and help because I can escape? <laughs> you know, I can escape what's going on for a few hours, and I can crack on with it." And there's a lot of people in wrestling. I'm sure you've probably spoke to them that have come from maybe difficult backgrounds or they've they've got mental health issues and things like that and that's probably what wrestling provides them as well is just that that escape from reality a chance to forget about life for a while and I think that's why I think that's why people enjoy it so much as a fan and as a wrestler and you know be it backstage like that's why we all enjoy it I think in my opinion is just we get to forget about everything else for a bit you know absolutely I mean I mentioned it in a episode way back uh, probably in season two sometime but um i my my dog passed away uh, this is years ago so it's fine i'm over it uh, but it was like five years ago and uh i was there when he was put down he had like a cancerous tumor on his back it was it was just a whole horrible thing yeah. um and then that happened like the right thursday maybe wednesday thursday mm-hmm. and then i went to go see wrestlezone keith on the saturday and even though my face, I, I, I took a picture because I, I take my brother, he's got autism and that's that's our thing. I'll take him to a local show if they're on. Yeah. And uh, even though I took a picture of myself, I look like the most miserable person in the world. 
for that three hours, I had the time of my life. My well, my face didn't, but uh, I did. <laughs> I did outwards, <laughs> and it was just like that's when I needed three hours just to take that moment out of the equation and watch yeah. and watch uh, Scotty Swift smack someone over the head a couple of that times. That was yeah, that was the big thing. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll let you move on in a second. I do apologise, but. With the elite rumble that I was in with the coffees and, and with, the, you know, polo and things like that. That day, I, I went along to, to help out at the show, purely just to help out, same as I always did for Adrian. Um, and I got a phone call while we were building the ring that one of my friends had took his life. Um, and I was particularly, a bit like yourself, my face dropped and people could tell I just had a bad phone call. Um, I, I was told to go home and I said, no, like, let me just stay. We'll, we'll get the show done. It's cool. I don't know how word got around, but word got around, and I was asked to go out flyering for an hour or so just to get away and go a wander. So I was out with somebody we were flyering, and in that time, unbeknownst to me, Adrian had caught wind of what had happened, and I still think that's probably why when I walked back from flyering, he asked me if I had my gear with me, and he said, "Have you got your gear with you?" I went, "Yeah." They went, "Right, okay," and he pointed to a bit of paper. I went, "You're number 19. So. I'm still of the opinion that somebody's possibly told him and rather than let me sit about like a miserable old sod, he's given me that opportunity to go and perform and it's it's perked me up. And it did, it, it did perk me up a lot. It gave me something to think about all night as well um, because you're sitting thinking about the match and you're, you're thinking about what could happen and, you know, what you want to happen. Um, and again, I see that as a sign of him looking out for me, you know. So it, it, wrestling heals, man. It's, it's weird, but it, it heals a lot. Definitely. Um, that, that just, I can't, every story, I've only ever briefly met him once. I didn't say anything because it was after a show. He was looking, he had his hood up, looking to leave. So I was like, I'm not going to interrupt him. Um, so I thought that's fine. And then, of course, about two months later, he passed away. And I was like, I wish I just said something that time. But that thing yeah. that speaks to his character from everything that I've heard, that he'll just go, right, there's an issue here. I know how to get around it. We'll distract yeah. him. <laughs> it, it, worked, it worked for me that's for sure um, you know I think he always knew that I wanted an opportunity to wrestle on his shows anyway but um, I think he knew that was probably my best opportunity to to forget about things that night and uh, again you know I, I keep saying I'm thankful and I'm grateful but I am like I'm very thankful for a lot of the opportunities that I've had particularly A wrestling him and B the opportunity that he gave me to be on his show um, so outside of, of streaming, <coughs> outside of streaming, what's your what's your wrestling watch habits during this lockdown? Is there anyone that you're watching to kind of pick up ideas, or is there any particular companies that you're you've got your your eye on at the moment? Um, truthfully, I've 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 sort of fell away from SmackDown and Raw right now. Um, I, I I know I should be watching it because that's where people aspire to be. Unfortunately for me, just now. My time is limited, and the time that I do have, I spend watching the Fight Club tapings and also spend watching um, NXT UK and a bit of NXT as well. So in terms of what I want, like who I have been watching, I tend to, for education purposes, I'll go back into a lot of the older style of stuff. So I spend a lot of time looking at um, Big Boss Man, I'll look at Abyss, Mark Henry, that's where I sort of draw the inspiration in terms of putting a move set together and things like that. But one of them, one of my favourite people to watch, and I know I've just don't really watch the, the the shows anymore. But Randy Orton is as far as being a villain goes, the way he stalks people about the ring and the way he conducts himself is just it's just phenomenal. Um, 
So in terms of learning, that's the type of world I look at. But I'm also looking closer at home. I'm looking at guys like Andy Wilde, like Wolfgang, you know, all the, the, the bigger blokes that can do all this really cool stuff um, that I'm not quite yet able to do. And I'm looking at the logic behind it. I'm looking at what they're doing. I think part of me did for a wee while get a bit comfortable going, well, he's a big guy and he can wrestle. But now they're getting smaller, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should be getting smaller. So I need to, I need to learn from that. That's for sure. Um, what's really cool is he's, it's cool to see Sweeney back. Um, I'm enjoying seeing Sweeney back. Um, he's, he's obviously got got his business to conduct. I don't know if you've been watching the tapings or, or so, but um, Sweeney's he, he's been putting a few guys to waste lately, and it's good to see him back in an ICW ring. I, I, I liked watching him um, when I was. I, I, you know, merely a fan of I started wrestling, but um, it was good to good to see him back lately. And again, that's somebody that I can can pick, I can sort of pick his brains when he's backstage, and I have been as well. So, but no, if, yeah. As far as as far as like the main shows, I'm just really catching the pay per views now. It's time. Same. So it's just getting the time, but it's great to see folk like uh, uh, Piper and Piper Piper and Evan do drop uh, appear. Yeah. On. On uh, on Raw, and I thought, oh my god, very amazing! Yeah, very happy for her. Very happy for her. She she's a very deserving person, as well. Um, so it's good to see somebody getting that chance. Absolutely. I, I I don't doubt at all. Once this episode goes out publicly, she will no longer be called Dewdrop. But you know, uh, I hope not. I don't want to. Say, I don't want to shut the name down in case she does have to keep it. But you know. She, you know, Viper or Piper, like they're that that's who we know it as and they're badass names, you know. Piper I mean, it, it might grow, it might grow on you, who knows? But uh, yeah, well, for right it. now, it's only what two weeks in as of recording, so we'll just we'll get it. <laughs> um, but no, it's great to see folk, it's, it's seeing folk like that, like uh, Drew, of course, was already in WWE by the time you started, but I've uh, seen like sort of, of Nikki Cross and um, of course, Killing Dane has just left, uh, it just, just got released, but. Um, is a cool saying like it's possible that where you're wrestling it is possible you yeah. can end up in NXT UK it is possible you'll end Definitely. up in WWE I mean the, the, the fun fact is as well Nikki Cross went to the same school as me she was uh, a year above me in school so to see her go to that level is just insane um, I didn't know she was a wrestler obviously she was she was training I believe towards the end of her, her time at school but um, I didn't know that about her. I just, I, I was friends with her cousin. I would say hello to her at, you know, the intervals and stuff. Um, and to see her go from from there to where she is now is is just fantastic. It's, it's good to see. And I, I remember the buzz that I had when the first sort of five of the UK people got, like the, the first UK tournament happened and then they kept a sort of core five. Like they had Wolfgang, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven and so on. And, I remember that buzz around it all, and it was so good because now we're sitting going, "Oh my god, like we can we can get here now. Like we we've got a bridge, we've got something, and it's happening, man. You just need to look at it, like Shaq Samuels and things like that as well. These are guys that that deserve the chance, absolutely. But would they have got the chance had the NXT UK not been there? I don't know because it was they, they weren't looking at the UK and it was it was through the guys that they've got now that they are looking at the UK though as well they built the scene so they've only got themselves to thank for doing it you know absolutely it seemed to be a bit of a panic mode because you had uh, WOS but it seems to have uh, worked NXT WOS isn't around but um, NXT UK seems to be um, but my only I won't 
dwell on the negatives of, of NXT UK, but I just think they need more characters. They've got so many. They've got Sha, who's just a humongous charisma, like yeah. ball of charisma. Um, but outside of that, it's a lot of wrestlers good at wrestling. Just give, me, give me, give me a character. Give me Sha. I think. I mean, I think the I think the thing with the the, the British style of wrestling is that is that is heritage of British wrestling. That's what British wrestling can bring to the table is that style. But I, I agree with you. You know, they can still bring that style and have a, a bit of a character about it. Um, but like some of the guys are making it their own, and that's what I like to see as well. Like Gallus, Gallus have took something and ran with it to the top for a bit there as well. And um, you know you. You look at the likes of when they brought in Imperium, and I know they're not necessarily all you know UK guys, but they took something, they ran with it, and now they're, they're back stateside and they're doing well. And who's to say that other people can't do the same? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, again, Piper, she went from NXT UK straight to Raw, so it's it's nothing's impossible when it comes to to wrestling nowadays. It seems. Um, but I mean, that might all change when the crowds come back. It could be a totally different uh, ball game. It could be uh, absolutely different. But really intrigued to see how it goes when crowds come back. Really intrigued. Um, so as far as the future, then, uh, of course, we mentioned Pro Two. Um, is there any companies in the UK that you that you have your eye on to try and get to back to up brawl, or what's your kind of? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to work as, as many places as I possibly can going forward. Um, as I say, that small absence towards the end, you know, before coronavirus, um, that sort of cemented home that I do want to work anywhere and everywhere. And again, I don't like saying no to an opportunity because some people think it's beneath them. Um, you know, I did a lot of Galladay work, sometimes for barely a wage, but it got me match time, it got me ring time and that. And that's the way it should be. And I want to do more of that. I want to get more ring time. I want to get fitter. I want to I want to go the same route as a lot of these guys that I'm close mates with are doing. You know, your your Leighton Buzzards and uh, you know, Kez Evans, people like that who are just doing their own thing. And I, I reckon I will have what it takes to do that. I just I know what I need to do myself. And I think thankfully, due to the, the type of coaches that I've got, I think I'll get there. I just I always knew it was going to take a longer route to get there. Company-wise this year, ICW is on the list. Of course it is. You know, they're, they're rebuilding a lot of young talent. Um, not calling myself young here, by the way, by any means of the word, but um, they are rebuilding a lot of the young, you know, the new generation, as they, they call it. So I, I would like to, to step in the ring um, at ICW, and there's a few people I would love to wrestle on ICW. Um, down south, I, I would work for Brawl again in the heartbeat. The two guys you know, that run the, the company, um, Ryan and and Darren, they're just fantastic, and I'd happily make the trip down there again. Um, I mean, anywhere, man, anywhere. Like, I'll be sending my CV anywhere and everywhere as soon as I start to get things open again. Uh, I guess same with opponents, just just everyone and anyone. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've you've got bucket list opponents and things like that, and as in all time, like. I, I'm determined that I need to have a match with Wolfgang just because that's how it started. I'd like to come full circle with that. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the guys that I've worked with in the past, I would love to go and work with again, like Leighton Buzzard. Like, I know I harp on about him and I need to stop because he'll get a big head when he listens to this, if he listens to this. But, um, you know, I would, like, I would like to go in and, and look at your guys like... Um, I mean, there's a lot of young up-and-comers in ICW right now. Daz Black is phenomenal. Um... I, I'd never seen much of him until I started going to sort of like uh, house shows and stuff. But now seeing him in ICW, 
he's, he's superb. Alex Parker, um, again, what a talent that wee guy is. Um, you know, I would love to to get the opportunity to eventually get one on one with Ravi Davy. I think that needs to happen eventually. Um, and I would love to wrestle the Pudge because we've never quite had that chance. We've, we've done it again for a, a fun day. We've done a six on six, but I would love to get a good tag match with the Pudge someday. And that might happen in Pro Two because we've got this tournament. Absolutely. Um, so before we do the the end bit with your social media, uh, I've started to ask folk just like if you go back to your first day of training and you could tell yourself any advice or, or uh, anything that that you feel like would would have helped you on that first day um, or your first journey, what would it be? Start start your cardio and uh, do more squats. <laughs> just suck. Um, but no, seriously, I think. Uh, just a bit more confidence in myself, a bit more self-belief. And I would probably realign my goals. As I say, I went back there with the intention solely of getting fit and becoming a, a ringside manager or a valley. Um, whereas I think if I went back and told myself, no, you can do this. You can you can, you can, can go, man. You can go in this ring and you can put on a show. You can entertain. Like, I wish I could go back and tell myself that because I think I would be so much further than where I am just now if I had that sort of self-belief. Um, and that's, that seems like a, a good way to wrap up. Where can people find you on social media? Oof, uh, so Twitter, you can find me at Eli Bulwark. You can also find me on Twitch, where I stream most weeknights now, at BravoCharlie125. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Eli Bulwark slash GPWA. And if you want my personal Instagram, um, you can find it through my Twitter. So I'll, I'll not advertise that there, but you can find it through Twitter if you need it. Well, great. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, listen, I've, I've had a blast. I can't believe how, how fast the times went by. And I'm sorry if I did rabble on. Um, I know I'm not four hours like Scotty, but, uh, you know, I hope I've, I've not got too much editing for you left here to do. But thanks very much for giving me a platform, man. I appreciate it. I will not edit a minute of this, so don't you worry about <laughs> it. Uh, but okay, th- thank you very much. No, thank you very much, man.